Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today we're continuing with Chapter 4 of 99 Bottles by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. We're going to look at Sections 4.5, 4.6, and 4.7. These look at aiming for consistency when refactoring, obeying the Liskov substitution principle, and how we can start taking bigger steps with our refactorings once we have more experience with the flocking rules. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you are reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We would love to hear from you. So Nadia, how did you find the reading this week? Suspicious. <laughs> because <laughs> I thought Sandy and Katrina were out to trick me. <laughs> There was a lot of talk of doing these big refactorings and all along it's been little steps, little steps. So I thought they were trying to catch us out. So I was on edge the whole time trying to work out what they were playing at. Mm-hmm. And at the end, did you feel like we were tricked? I was, it was like a double bluff yeah. because they weren't tricking me. They wanted me to take a big step. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, same. It, it's one of those things where, you know, I feel like a lot of this book has been about rules but also cushioning those rules with when they make sense, when they may not, and kind of reminding us that there's context with each rule. So this is one of those examples or one of those sections where it was, okay, here's the rule we told you about. Here's a place where we can maybe bend them a little bit, maybe ignore them a little bit. And it just it just reminded me that it's still up to me to figure out, well, when is the right time to disregard them? Yes, I always got the sense from Sandy and Katrina that no matter how experienced you are, it's really important to always do these small steps. So I was surprised when it was like, oh, no, we've done it three times now. You can jump ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. So let's dig into 4.5, Seeking Stable Landing Points. So here we talked about how we have two case statements that involve number two and number one and that they've been removed and that last episode we created these new concepts, quantity, pronoun, and container, which is awesome, which frankly is like a lot more uh, neater and, you know, kind of put together than I initially, because initially when we were doing this refactoring, I was thinking, how in the world is this going to work? But now I I can kind of see it coming together and I can see those little concepts that uh, Sandy and Katrina promised us we were going to have. So that part is yeah, that part is awesome. And so when we look at these three uh, these three methods, we notice a couple things. We notice that each one has a single responsibility, which I think is expected if you're at all familiar with um, Sandy's work. But we also notice that they have identical shapes, which I thought was really interesting. They, they visually just look the same. I've heard a number of talks where uh, the speaker talks about kind of squinting your eyes and seeing what like the shape of the code is and how long it is and how it feels. And if you do that here, you can definitely see that it's basically identical. And in terms of the structure, it talks about how each one contains a conditional and each conditional tests an argument of a value. And that value has always been a number. So we can we can get really excited now and look at this and say, hmm, these are all basically the same thing. And where is this going to take us? There's a very important point that Sandy and Katrina make in this section. And I think we've touched on this before, but it's the whole code is read many more times than it is written. So anything mm. that increases understandability lowers costs. And that really stood out for me because I was thinking, even when you're working on code by yourself, mm-hmm. you still read it more often than you write it. 
because, you know, you'll leave the code, you'll come back or you'll try and work out where you left it. And so it's this whole idea of, yeah, you can bash out code, but really you, you have to be thinking of the reader first and foremost and this ability to be able to just jump back in. And there's this little image of a child jumping down a stream and hopping on rocks. And this idea that if you can see that they're all broad and flat and dry, then you you can do you can jump from one end of the stream to another very quickly and confidently because, you know, the chances of you slipping is quite low. And I thought that was a quite useful image for thinking about how, you know, we look at listing 4.3.1, you know, we have confidence that, aha, at a glance, we can see where this is going and we can jump, jump straight in more quickly than if we had some more dodgy code going on. Yes, exactly. Like it's all about confidence, right? Which is the the first book that we read, Confident Ruby. It's all about being confident in our code and what it can do and um, and all that. So that is awesome. So next we go to 4.6, which is obeying the Liskov substitution principle. Have you heard of the Liskov substitution principle before this? Yes, but just just from SOLID, the SOLID acronym. Mm, but I don't mm-hmm. think I've seen, unless there was an example in PUDA, that I'm, there probably was an example in PUDA and I'm not remembering. But this is the first time I've sort of properly worked through a, a an instance of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I couldn't remember it. I was like, I hope I'm saying this name right, <laughs> what I was saying it in my head. But I think that's what's cool about this book because I think this is the first time when I sort of left the section and thought, ah, now I really know what the Liskov substitution principle is. And I I know I've read it a few times, but I haven't really seen it in action. So now we're going to focus on our case statement in our verse method where we have two branches. So we have our one zero and then we have our else. So we're able to take all of our other branches and collapse them down to just that else statement. But we still have that one zero that we have to figure out and, and see if we can abstract that as well. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. It, we're almost there. We're in the final stretches. I'm, I'm really excited to see how this all works out. And if we look at the big differences, there are a couple of them. And one of them is looking at lines four and lines nine. And so line four reads no more. And we can see that that lines up very well with the number variable that's interpolated in our else statement. So this feels pretty familiar because in either one, even though no more is, you know, um, letters, it's, it's words, it's still talking about the quantity. And so it feels natural, it feels right to use the quantity concept in there. However, mm-hmm. this time we have no more at the beginning of a sentence. And so we need a capital N. Yes. And so this, for me, you know, when I looked at this, I thought, okay, we need to do capitalize somewhere. I just, I just don't <laughs> see a way where we don't use capitalize. That's the only thing I could think of. And for once, uh, that was right. We do use capitalize. But this section goes into a really interesting conversation of where to capitalize and what that says about our trust with our different methods and our senders and receivers. And so we talk about how, given the fact that capitalization really only needs to happen when we have our when zero uh, branch, we can kind of just stick it on to the end of the quantity number and call dot capitalize on the return of that, which I think intuitively makes sense, but also felt kind of icky 
Yeah. When I looked at that, I felt like, ah, I don't, uh, I feel like, I feel like that's something that I would do on a first go and then feel really weird about it, but just not really be sure of what to do next. Right. I actually had a note in this section. It was a bit later on on the listing 4.35 where I was like, this whole thing doesn't seem right to me. Seems <laughs> like I'd want to fix this and I'm not sure how to go about it, but it's not right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was proud of myself for, you know. That gut-driven development of, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> gut-driven. Is that a thing? We, remember oh, I, if it's not, it should be. We made it up in Confident Ruby. Yes. Awesome. Good job, past self. I hope, I hope it, that's true and I haven't just stolen it from Avdi without realizing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> you can totally take credit for it. Totally. So we add capitalize at the end of the calling of the quantity method in the zero case. And since we're trying to eliminate the differences, we make the same change in the first line of the else case. However, we get an error. So we get a no method error saying undefined method capitalize for fix them. And this is because in the first case with zero, we always have a string and that understands the capitalize method. But in the default case, we have all manner of different numbers and there's no way to capitalize or fix them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, so this is the bit where I was like, hmm, interesting, because the way that Sandy and Katrina suggest solving it initially is to add a 2S call in the else case. So in listing 4.36 on line seven, they insert a 2S in between quantity number and capitalize. And so we know from reading Confident Ruby, that that changes a number into a string. And so now everything works. But in order to remove the difference, we also have to add 2s in the zero case. So line four in listing 4.37, we add 2s there too. And that makes that first clause or that first item in each verse be identical. You know, this reminds me of when I was reading this, it, it feels like, you know, when you're trying to clean your home and first thing you have to do, well, depending on how messy you are, maybe this is just my home, is you kind of have to like take everything, like if you're doing laundry, right, you kind of have to take everything out and put it, you know, all on the bed, organize it by colors, fabric types, and then you put it in the washer. And yes. so there's like a moment where things feel like they're getting messier and mm. you know, it's totally not being clean. But you know, you're you're organizing and you're ordering them and then eventually it makes it easier to put it, you know, in the right place. That's how this felt to me because I felt like when we did the capitalize, it felt a little gross. Then we added it to S, it felt grosser. But then when we got to a point where both lines were you know, basically identical, where they had quantity, pass in number, call to us, call capitalize in both, then I said, oh, we're, we're organizing, we're categorizing, we're putting them in buckets so that we can then treat them th- the same. And that's when it started to really make more sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting point. Although obviously in this case, we don't quite want to keep it that way. <laughs> and there's a bit where um, Sandy and Katrina write, now the difference is resolved, the tests are running, step back and consider this solution. And I had a exactly. note here saying, ABC, always be considering, because nothing is ever <laughs> as it seems. <laughs> and so I was like excited because I was like, oh, yes, now they're going to get at what is slightly bugging me about this whole thing. So the problem here is that quantity is returning two potential different types of objects. So sometimes we get a fixed num, sometimes we get a string, and so we don't have 
confidence to be able to interact with what we ideally want to be a consistent API. And now if we think about our verse method, the fact that just reading it, you've got quantity number, dot two S, dot capitalize, it just shows that the verse method itself doesn't have confidence in what the quantity method's gonna return. It has to ask it a couple of things before it can say, okay, now I can use it the way I want to. And this is indicative of dependencies. And we know that we always want to reduce the number of dependencies because this means that we have more flexible, better maintainable code going forward. And so now enter the Liskov substitution principle. Yes. And so the Liskov substitution principle, the official definition says that subtypes must be substitutable for their supertypes. And in the context of what we're doing with the 99 Bottles song, really what we're getting at is that objects should be what they promise to be and there shouldn't have to be any guesswork on the part of other methods and other parts of your code to kind of figure out well will it respond this way will it do this and do i have to kind of catch all the different options and different possibilities of you know in in the way that it'll act or can i trust it'll just do what we what it says it's going to do and what it feels like it's going to do and so it kind of feels like duck types right and it kind of feels like if it if it acts like a duck and quacks like a duck, then that's really all that matters. And so in that same way, we want to make sure that they're doing the thing that we expect them to do. Yes. There's a bit where they say, if quantity were more trustworthy, verse could know less. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it made me think of like people in the sense that... I was, was going to say the same thing. <laughs> like if you trust someone, you don't need to know all the details or care about them. You know they got it covered. Yeah. You know it's all good, you know? It's when you don't trust people that you're like, hmm, what's the details? What's going down? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what I was thinking of. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh my goodness, yes. Basically, code mimics real life. Or maybe real life mimics code. I don't Ooh. know. Both ways. Mm. <laughs> so if you're sticking with the list, of principle that means that you never do anything that checks the return of a sender such that you know how it's going to behave you essentially have a contract that you trust is going to be obeyed and you send messages based on that contract and nothing else and so for 4.38 we look at quantity again and we have quantity obey the Liskov principle and what that means is we want to do the to string conversion and all of that information within the quantity method. So we know that if number equal equals zero, we're going to return a string. So that part is great. But then we're going to look at the else branch and we're going to call number dot to string so that we know that whenever we call the quantity method, we're always going to get back a string and we can trust that and we don't have to guess and modify what we do based on the uh, different return values. Indeed, and then looking at listing 4.39, we now have a verse method that trusts quantity because we can get rid of the 2s. We don't need to change its form. And the reason why capitalize still makes sense in this context is because within the context of verse, we're looking at a word that comes at the beginning of a sentence. So it makes sense that you're calling capitalize there. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense for that to be the responsibility of quantity to know when it should be capitalized or not. So now we were left with the first sentences of the zero and the else cases being identical. Awesome. Three more phrases to go. Mm-hmm, almost there. Time to take some bigger steps in section 4.7. <laughs> Which is called taking bigger steps. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. <laughs> so this is where the, you know, I start getting all suspicious and uncomfortable. 
<laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> no, it, it makes sense though, right? Because this whole time we've been talking about taking smaller steps and now we are going to take some bigger ones. So we are looking at listing 4.41 and we're still looking at the zero branch, the one zero branch and that else branch. And now we're looking at the second phrase that starts with no more bottles of beer. And then for the else is number, we're interpolating the number variable, container number of beer. So we can see some pretty big differences. One is calling a method and has interpolated uh, variables in there. And the one zero just has a straight string. And so Sandy and Katrina have prepped us for this upcoming for factoring by saying that, you know, we've been doing the same sort of pattern uh, in previous sections. And so now it makes sense to speed up and combine several steps into a single change. And I'm thinking, oh, really? <laughs> and so one of the first things we can do is luckily we have a lot of the methods that we need uh, available to us that we've already written. So we can look at no more in that one zero and just replace that with quantity number. And we can do the same thing with else also replace that with quantity number. And then we can take that next part, which is bottles, and we can replace that with container number. And when we look at that, we have those two phrases now identical, which is great. <laughs> Not too shabby. Okay, so now we have two sentences left, three and four. And so what is the next difference that we're going to tackle? Now, I thought this was funny because initially my first thought was, well, we'd go to phrase three. And in the book, um, Sandy and Katrina say, well, let's actually go from the end. And so I'm thinking, oh, we're going to go with verse four. And they discuss briefly the differences in phrase four. And then they go, actually, ignore the fourth phrase. Let's go to phrase three. I just thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're now going to look in listing 4.44 at the third phrase of each verse. So in the zero case, we have go to the store and buy some more. And in the else case, we have take and then a call to pronoun with number as the argument down and pass it around. So that that is the method that gives us an it or a one, depending on how many bottles we've got left. Yes. And the only thing the above lines have in common is the comma. <laughs> They're very different. But we still have the same concept in mind. That is, if we need to make them the same, then there has to be and a, a large abstraction within there, which we need to uncover. And this, again, one of those moments where I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, I got to find what the smaller abstraction is. And when I look at it, it's it's hard for me to see beyond what the actual literal difference is. And, you know, I, I did a little bit better and I, and I kind of stared at it a little bit longer and tried to narrow it down to a single concept. But I do find it really interesting, just this idea that we're going to stare at the presence of the opposition and the fact that the opposition, quote, means they reflect a single concept. To me, it's just very, very interesting. Like That's probably the most fascinating part of this whole operation thus far is the fact that there are differences means there is a single concept they have in common. There's just something like very poetic about that. That, but also when I first read it, and even now when you said it again, there's something unintuitive about it to me. Exactly. Because yeah. I kind of felt like it's saying, take any difference. And if your aim is to make it the same, then there must be a concept that they reflect. And it's kind of like, mm -hmm. but surely no, some things are just different. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not, I, I get what they're saying, but there's also an, a bit of it, which I have to think on to, to really make it gel in my head. 
Yes. And I think that with such a, a, a pretty straightforward example, like creating the 99 bottles of beer song, I think it is safe and, and relatively easy to remember that at the end of the day, the song basically says the same thing 99 times, you know, and so it's easy for me to kind of buy into it and believe that there is um, there is a single concept because I know that when I sing the song, it feels like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. But I don't know if it would feel if I would feel as comfortable trusting that or at least being able to say this difference is a real difference and this difference is symbolic of an underlying concept if the example weren't so trivial. Yeah, that's a good point. And so here we are going to look at some of the steps that we're going to take. And so a lot of these steps we've talked about before, those are define a method for the concept, alter it to return one of the differences, replace that difference with a message send, add the number argument to the new method with a default, implement the conditional, pass the number argument from the recurrent sender, send the message from the other branch, this time including the number argument, clean up which are a lot of steps. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do it all in one step. Yes. <laughs> and this is the part where Nadia gets really suspicious and uncomfortable. Well, actually, the note I had at this point says, okay, maybe they weren't tricking us. They really want us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when I saw that, I, I thought, they can't be serious. So I went a couple pages ahead <laughs> to kind of see, you know, the part where they go, this was a bad idea. Let's not yeah. do that. But then the, the section ends. So I, I, I was like, okay, you're serious. Got it. Yeah. And so listing 4.45, very appropriately named leap into action, is where yeah. in one fell swoop, we define the action method. So Sandy and Katrina say, you know, the part of the song that we're dealing with, whether it's go to the store and buy some more, or take it down, pass it around, that's the action based on the current number of beers. So we're just going to call that an action. And we're going to write a method which has, it looks, it's got a similar pattern to what we've been dealing with, or the same pattern rather. And it says, if number equals equals zero, go to the store and buy some more. Otherwise, take it down and pass it around, or take one down and pass it around. And then we can go into sending that action method in our verse method. So looking at the zero case and the else case, we just take those third phrases and replace it with an interpolation of the action method, taking number as an argument. And uh, hey, ho, that's it. <laughs> and hey, ho, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and it was okay. So one thing that I did feel really good about is when I saw that the method was called action, that was basically the the name or at least the concept that I was thinking about as well. When I was trying to, you know, not peek ahead and figure out like, okay, if I were doing this on my own, what would I call it? I was thinking to myself, well, this is the point where you decide what to do, right? And what to do, like deciding what to do is you taking action. So I felt really good about that. But I also felt like, I don't know, every time I think of an answer, I just assume that it's wrong. And <laughs> usually it is. So the last couple ones I've been getting right. So I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm learning stuff, which is pretty good. You're but doing yeah, good. I was really happy to see that it was, yeah, it was called action. And it, it really does capture the, um, the concept that I was playing with in my head. So Sandy Katrina do address my suspicions at the end of section 4.7. They say, it may seem as if you are now being given permission to act in a way that was previously prohibited. Yes, it does seem that way. Tell me more. <laughs> and so <laughs> they say that there is a difference before, you know, we introduced you to these rules and then we've done it once, twice, three times. 
now we think that you've learned it, it makes sense for you to do it in one step. And I thought, this is really cool. Look at this book. It's even building mm. in how you can leverage your experience over time. <laughs> like, what book does this? <laughs> it was actually, it's actually pretty cool if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I, I think that I don't feel like I'm ready to make that big step yet. I kind of want to practice it a couple more times before, mm. uh, you know, being confident enough to do it in one step. But yeah, but I do like the idea that based on our skill level or our comfort level, our context, based on a bunch of different things, you know, it's it's still within our, you know, rights. You know, we still have the power to decide what we do and how we do it. And Sandy and Katrina are giving us guidelines on how to make good decisions. Yes. So throughout the book, we have been encouraged to take very small steps in refactoring. But in this section, as we discussed, we took a really big one. So we want to know, how do you feel about that big step? Did it feel right? Were you ready for it? Was it uncomfortable? Tweet us your responses at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!